Luke 19 is where we're going to go. So if you have an app, uh, you can open that up. Scripture, Luke 19. If you're taking notes, they handed you a little sheet on your way in. It's just entitled Personal God. See, we have a God, don't forget the interaction here. We have a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and always present. Amen? This is, in other words, like the, the fancy terms for that is omnipotent, on, omniscient, omnipresent. What we're saying is we have a God who's so big, so vast, yet incredibly personal. For, for as, as, as vast as God is, he's, he's still personal. He's not like the, the little G gods they had of yesteryear in the Bible times, the, the, the little G gods of like sticks and stone like those cold, distant gods. And he's not like the little g gods of, of our day that say, hey, you know, serve acceptance or entertainment. This is the all-powerful God of the universe, yet he's incredibly personal and intimate. And we're going to see that in tonight's text from Luke chapter 19. So the story of Zacchaeus, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to be reading out of ESV. It says, he, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. Okay, let's time out there in our text. Right now, in the life of Jesus and his ministry, he's just about to like get to Jerusalem. He's at rock star status. You see that even in the text, like crowds are, are trying to just catch a glimpse of Jesus. By this point in Jesus' ministry, he's already fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. I mean, he... At this point, he's already changed water to wine. He, he's walked on water. All the miraculous catch of fish, all that stuff has already taken place. And, and not only those cool things, but, but also there was people that were blind that received sight. Those that were lame from birth, and, and Jesus healed them. Those that had demon possession, and yet they were set free. Jesus was, his ministry it preceded him, and, and crowds were coming out just to, just to want to see him. And not only that, I forgot to mention, oh yeah, by the way, Lazarus was dead, laid in a tomb, and Jesus resurrected him. There's a little girl who he brought back to life. I mean, nothing. It seemed like no miracle had gone undone at this point. And so there's this rock star status, and you've got, you understand the scene, right? And Jericho, there's some Biblical significance of that city, the fact that they were in there, God gave them because they marched around and the walls fell down. This is the place, right? And there's so many people that are trying to get to see Jesus that our man, Zacchaeus, he can't. Uh, and so uh, we see this. And again, later on in 19, we're going to see the crowds continue. Is That's the triumphal entry. You think of that like uh, the palm branches going down, and they're singing Hosanna as Jesus is coming in. Rock star status. Yet, uh, I'd say it like this, Jesus is a big deal. Zacchaeus, little deal. Pun intended, right? So Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus is, is a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. You know the Sunday school song? 
That's as far as I got, right? But, but he's, he's a short guy. That's his stature. Uh, not the thing that you want to be known for is your short stature. But it also a few other things in the text. It says that he was a chief tax collector. Now, again, you probably know this, but let me explain. They were a conquered people. The Jews had been conquered by the Romans. And what would happen is the Romans, they needed some of their tax money for war so they could go conquer some other places or build amazing roads and all that stuff they wanted to do. So these conquered people, they would collect taxes. So they would find somebody that was of that people group that spoke the language, that knew the people, knew how much grain they were bringing in from their fields and, and just kind of knew their situation, to turn join the Romans, be employed by them, and to take taxes from these people at a pretty exorbitant amount and not only take taxes for Rome, if they wanted to take a little bit off the top for themselves, you could do that because you had the Roman army behind you, right? So that was kind of what was going on. It's like, oh, he wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, and he was good. You know how he was good? It says he was rich, right? So he is likely good at cheating others and has amassed wealth, which is, which is fun. Zacchaeus's name actually means pure, righteous one. It's not, not a really fitting name. It's like my bald head being called Shaggy, right? Like, it's like, how, how are you like the pure, righteous one, but like you're the chief tax collector? But nonetheless, like, that is it. But beyond his physical appearance, beyond his job, the text says something about him socially and emotionally. Socially, look at what's happening here. There's a massive crowd of people in his hometown, yet he's alone. Does that make sense? Like, he is, there's this crowd of people, and there's nobody that saved him a spot. Like, nobody has regard for him. He's just alone. And he's trying to fight through, and they don't let him. And not only was he alone, there's something happening. Not just socially was he alone, but emotionally. Something is taking place inside of him that drove Zacchaeus to want to run up ahead of the path that Jesus was heading. He runs up ahead, climbs up a sycamore tree. This is a grown man, climbs, climbs up the tree. because There's something going on. There's a longing in his heart. You don't do that if you got it all together. But there's something going on that drives him to do that, something missing. So I got a little prop, you gotta work with me here. I couldn't bring a sycamore tree in, but I did have a ladder, okay? So this is gonna be our tree for tonight. I, I'm colorblind, but I don't know if this is a tree color. What? Yellow, I've never seen a yellow tree, but I'm sure they're out there. Okay, so what he does is he runs ahead. It looks very stable, doesn't it? Uh, and so he runs ahead, he climbs a tree so he can get up there. I'm not going to go too high, so bear with me. Climbs ahead so he can see. Do you understand like the scene? Like he can't see over people. He can't push through them. Can't go over them. Can't go under them. Must go up a tree. And that's what he does. So he goes up a tree so he can see Jesus. So this is the position he's in. Now I want you to understand. Grown man. Rich. Wealthy. Like Scrooge McDuck pile of money he could be swimming in, likely could, could have been married to whichever beautiful woman that he wanted. But yet here he is, and again, I want to emphasize this, there's a longing, there's something going on inside of him where he wasn't 
content like being at home. It wasn't fulfilling. And so he had to go see something. And I would say there's like this longing, there's like this treetop experience, and maybe that's where you're at, but certainly like that is where Zacchaeus is at. I'd say our culture has some of this like longing. There's like this looking, like our culture's in this treetop moment where it's like, Maybe this next politician or maybe this next policy. Right now, even the trial of Rittenhouse, like everybody's on edge, like what's it going to be? Because my actions and what I do depend on, on that verdict. And again, I'm not trying to get political about these things, but I'm just saying like we're hinging on these things. And, 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 and Zacchaeus had that same thing where there's like this longing. Man, for me, like my treetop moment, this was me. In college, when I was your age, honestly, the thing that had me at a distance from God often was relationships. There was just this longing that I thought, if I could be in a relationship, I so desired somebody to know me, love me, and accept me uh, for who I was, and I thought, man, that's going to be my future wife. And so it was like not great. And what I mean is like I would walk into a room full of people, like maybe even a church group. And I wasn't thinking like, oh, who can I love on? It's like, where is she? Like in just like this mindset of like, who am I attracted to? What's the relationship status? And like found myself even like people are like, oh, you're such a good servant. And it's like, I wasn't doing it for the Lord. I wasn't doing it for you. I was hoping she was watching. Like that's like the brokenness. Like, cause I thought, man, if I could just, if I could just get married, if I could just have that life partner, then that would kind of like put things together. And so relationship for me equaled like a level of security or acceptance and affirmation. Man, I don't know if, if you've had those things, but again, we look to something that's not Jesus, hoping that it will fill. And so Jesus finds Zacchaeus in this situation. What's he do in verse five? When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today I must stay at your house. If you're taking notes, point one is just this, God knows us, amen? Like, he, he knows Zacchaeus by name. Like, you're like, did I leave my name tag on? Like, I, do we know each other? Like, how do you know that? And not only does, does Jesus know his name, Luke 12, verse 7 says this, that God knows the very number of hairs that are on top of our head. And again, as I get bolder, it gets easier for the Lord, but, but the fact that like, God knows us in that way, and not just like the hairs on our head, we say in Psalm 139, the psalmist rightly says, he knit us together in our mother's womb. Like, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't just know your name. He doesn't just know facts about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your hopes. He knows your dreams. He knows us intimately. So God knows you. And some of you, the thought of that, understandably so, is like, ah, uh, that's not comforting. <laughs> like if he knows me at that level, he knows some things about me that I, I don't love. I don't know if you feel that. Uh, so one of the things would do in college and, and kind of post-college would, would go major university town. I'll leave it nameless. There's heathens in every university town, but this one especially. Uh, was in this university town when I was a student there or when I was, uh, you know, after college, would go out to the major 
like Party Street, the one with all the bars, and go out in kind of late spring, summer, when it was kind of getting warm, and there'd just be a buzz of people um, going from one bar to the next to just get drunk, uh, do whatever. And, and what we do is myself and, and, and perhaps a few other people, we'd go to like Aldi and get the knockoff Oreo cookies. You know what I'm talking about? Like the ones that have no filling and are terrible unless you're just drunk, right? Uh, and so like there, nobody else would want them, but I'm taking, you, you go out to a party street and you're like, free cookies. And people are like, yes, I would like a cookie. And so we would go down there with these cookies and, and the thing, it was simple. I'll give you a cookie if you answer one question. And uh, people that have been drinking are pretty willing to, to make that exchange. Uh, and it was just this. this. This was the question. Here's your cookie. One question. What do you think God thinks of you? And you talk about an atmosphere that's typically jolly. They're about to get some food. And then you just ask, hey, what do you think God thinks of you? And just to see how fast it went dark. And again, I wouldn't fish in for anything specific, but oftentimes the answers would be, man, what I think God thinks of me? He's disappointed. He's ashamed. He's angry. In fact, on one of these occasions, I'm out there on this, this party street. I ran into some guys that I was on a dorm floor with. And it was three guys, but, but they'd been drinking. They were way too far gone. One of them in particular was so inebriated that he had fallen down multiple times. You could tell because he like scraped up his face and was bleeding out of the bridge of his nose. And in fact, like he's there and his two friends, using that term light, lightly, loosely, uh, were holding him up. And I thought, surely they're going to take this guy home and get him cleaned up. And, but now they were holding him up so they could stand in line to pay the cover charge for the next bar to keep drinking. And just remember in that moment seeing such a level of brokenness, such a level of like treetop experience, such distance. And the answer would be like, well, if God sees this, he's got to be so ashamed, so angry. And that is, perhaps you've been there or you're there now. This is sin. Sin takes you further than you wanted to go, faster than you wanted to get there, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay and costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. That's sin. That's the lure of it. It just, it just takes you. And I don't think that guy came to college setting out. You're like, you know what I want to be is a drunk on Friday night. That's what I want to do with my life. But nonetheless, like that's the life that he found in. And there's just this, what do you think God thinks of that? And here's the thing. In our text, I, I just wanted to be clear. I'm in no way affirming sinful action. But Jesus knows darn well what Zacchaeus has been up to. And he comes over. And what does he do? He calls him by name. He says, I know you, and I still love you. The psalmist says it like this. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. If we got what we deserve, it'd be hell right now. In fact, anything north of hell from God is grace. And so we don't get treated as our sins deserve. In fact, and this idea like, well, I, you know, I ran after God. I'm doing the right things. No, no one seeks after God, Romans 3.11. No one seeks after God, not even one. But God pursues people, amen? And he, right here we see in the text, he is pursuing, he is seeking after Zacchaeus. See, God knows you. That was point one. He knows you and he still chooses to love you. 
And what is he says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, bro. I'm coming to your house to stay. Any no, he doesn't say this. Hey, Zacchaeus, clean yourself up first. Then maybe we can associate. He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, why don't you prove your love to me and do these things, and then maybe we can associate. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. And I love, he's like, I, and again, I, this is my translation. He's like, bro, I've, I've got to come to your house. The language there is, I must stay at your place. And again, you've got to understand, this is Jesus. There's crowds that are pushing just to see him. And he picks out Zacchaeus, the chief cheating tax collector, and says, you, I'm coming to your place. If you are feeling distant from God, like that treetop broken, hurting, heavy, feeling alone, that's where Zacchaeus was at, and you should take comfort that those are exactly the people that Jesus seeks out. And in fact, in verse 10, we're going to see it's the Son of Man, Jesus said, did not come to, he came, well, he did, he came to seek and to save the lost. That's exactly who he came for. And so he says, hurry, come down. And I believe that invitation is to all of us. And this is huge, loving gesture. That's why Jesus had the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so he's with Zacchaeus. And there's this no longer this distance, but this very present, very personal expression of God's love. And, and I love this. Look at the, the response. What's the response? So God knows us, and yet he still chooses to love us. Zacchaeus, verse 6. So he quickly came down. Notice the immediate joyful kind of surrender here. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it were so excited. Is that what the text says? <laughs> all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. I don't know what tone other than that to take. Like, he's gone along to lodge with that guy. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Jesus' response, verse 9, today salvation has come to this house or this man. Because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. He gets saved. He becomes a Christian. Jesus proclaims that with his own lips in verse 9. Salvation has come. Zacchaeus wasn't saved because he invited Jesus into his home. He was saved because he invited Jesus into his heart. It wasn't this proximity like, come to my home, but, but the fact that he made Jesus Lord of his life. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you're made right with God. You acknowledge your sin, acknowledge you've fallen short. Zacchaeus does that. He says, God, I want your plan for my life, not mine. And so he does that, and there's immediacy. Zacchaeus, come down. And he quickly, it says, he quickly came down. There's an immediacy to it. There's a joyfulness. And he welcomed Jesus joyfully. Again, we make, we make a wrong assumption that those people that have fame and popularity and money, man, they've got it made. No, they don't. 
Not at all. Given the opportunity to abandon it all, Zacchaeus finally finds life and does it in an instance with a joyfulness. And then he does this with just utter surrender. See that he says, look, half of my possessions, half of it goes to the poor, boom, done. I need the other half though, because I robbed a bunch of people and I need to pay them back. And I'm not just going to pay them back, I'm going to give them back fourfold. I mean, you talk about an investment, right? Not even crypto can get you that kind of return, right? Get robbed from a guy four times back. And he does this joyfully. And I would say this, it's worth noting, you can't be a Christian who lives in a tree, who's like, I love Jesus, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to cling to my money. Like, he comes down, it's like, Jesus, I love you, we're good, I'm just... The very idol, the thing that I've bowed down and worship, I'm just gonna keep, I'm just gonna bring that with. Has that, you know, like he, he has to leave it. It, it. So it's not just noticing Jesus from a distance, but he leaves that tree behind. Man, if you really want to follow the Lord, you might have to get down from those idols, leave them, be it the idol of like your reputation, your desire for, for comfort, whatever it is, leaving it behind. To follow Jesus, I heard a preacher one time, he's like, if you follow Jesus at like a safe distance, that's neither safe and it certainly leaves you distant. I mean, the best place to be is like right with Jesus, in lockstep with the Lord. I mean, anybody that's like, this football illustration, like, like a running back, like the best place to be is like your pulling guard is just grab on his jersey and just follow him and let him plow everybody over. If you're like, I'll just sit back and I'll just wait. It's like, that's a good way to get killed. <laughs> and I would say, like, we live, like, if you want to live your life and, and have security, like, be united with the Lord. Because not even death could hold him down. So it's like, Lord, I'm with you. And so Zacchaeus climbs down, leaves that. And again, I think it just kind of goes against that sentiment where it's like, well, I can... You know, I have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, I can see him. I would say, like, the person kind of hanging out here but, like, still trying to keep their eyes on Jesus is the, the, the nominal Christian that's like, well, I'm a Christian because I go to church. Like, what you're saying in that, and again, I've been there, so don't hear me, like, throwing big rocks at somebody, right? It's like that sentiment. It's like, well, I'm a Christian because I, I do the things, right? Like, I'm a Christian because I go to church, it's like Christianity by proximity. That'd be like saying, well, I stand in a garage, so therefore I'm a car. Right? Standing in a garage does not make you in a car. And sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. I love it. What is it? James 2.19. Even belief. Like, well, I believe in God. James 2.19 says, good. Even the demons believe in God. And they're actually terrified. This belief that's at a distance does not save. It's leaving the tree, saying, I abandon this. Jesus, I am all yours. I'm fully surrendered. And you better believe Zacchaeus is just wide open. He's joyful to do it. And Jesus would say, yeah, if you want to try and save your life, you're actually going to lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, you're going to find it. Jesus doesn't just want to be a part of your life. He wants the whole thing. Money was Zacchaeus's little g-god, and he just responds open-handed. And I want you to know, it wasn't his actions that saved him. They're just evidence of his salvation. He was saved before that. He's like, yes, 
You trusted Jesus. How you manifested that trust was by being willing to give money. And so his actions didn't save him. They just showed where his faith was at. James 2 says that. If you have faith without deeds, it's useless. And so you got to imagine. Can you imagine the testimony? Like here's this wee little man that comes like these Roman guards, takes all your money, and like walks out and is living the, the posh life. Can you imagine when he comes back to those that he stole from? I mean, Christian, can you think of that? Like if he stole from you and he brings you this money bag and says, here, I, you know, I just, I met Jesus today. He's Lord. And I just, I just want to give back what I've taken from you. And you look at that and you're like, yeah, we all know you stole from me, but this seems like way more. Yeah, it is. It's four times more. It's like, well, why, why are you doing that? Like, you don't need to do that for me. It's like, no, I'm, I'm doing it for me. I'm killing my little G God, my idol, in order to serve the one true God. The testimony that he must have had in following the Lord in this way. And so there's this immediate joyful surrender, and everybody complains about it. Like, here's this guy that was taking their money, and then they complain about it. Just, it's not one of the main points, but can I just get off the rails here a little bit? People are going to hate no matter what. I'm sure, clearly they boxed him out and didn't like him when he was a tax collector. Now he surrendered his life to Jesus, and that's not good enough either. Some of you guys, I just want you to hear, if you want people to accept you, you're going to have a miserable life, because they won't. You just can't win with a lot of people, like this crowd. It's like, just can't win. I'm sorry if like that's news to you and you're like, I just want everybody to like me. Not going to happen. Not if you're following Jesus. Let me clarify that. Not if you're following Jesus. Maybe if you can do it some worldly way. But Jesus said, hey, actually the world's probably going to hate you. Mind you, it hated me first. They crucified me. And say like this, if you never meet Satan on the road of life, perhaps it's because you're heading the same direction. You get, somebody amen. You're heading the same direction. Why would he oppose you if you're going the same direction? So you should expect a level of opposition if you're following. It's Zacchaeus, bro, doesn't even, like he doesn't even hear it. Him and Jesus, look at the text. They're just having a moment. <laughs> They're all complaining. What is it, verse seven? All who saw it began to complain. Zacchaeus stood there and he's talking to the Lord. He's like, hey, Jesus, guess what? I'm going to give half of everything away, man. And then everything I stole four times. And Jesus is like, guess what? That's the right response, bro. That's awesome. Now let's go to your house and let's do that thing where we hang out, right? Because not only do you have me in your life, it's just in your heart. And he doesn't even seemingly acknowledge the crowd's persistence. And I would say, man, if you're doing it right, you can expect some level of opposition. Even when you're loving people and laying down your life, I would say, honestly, even more in our cultural moment. Even more in our cultural moment to just show love is just, I mean, it's tough. And we should expect some level of opposition, but maybe for you, I was just thinking about this and perfectly considering Maybe the opposition that you're facing, not, it's not even out there. It's in here, in your head. Maybe the, 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 the most kind of like antagonistic comments you face 
are from yourself. I don't know if anybody's done that where it's like you're the one that's being hard on yourself. You're the one saying, man, and understandably, like, I shouldn't have looked at that. God's so disappointed. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have been thinking that. I shouldn't have chickened out in this way. And perhaps you're more hard on yourself than even the world would be. And I just want to tell you, man, I really believe that's a, a tactic of the devil. For those that have already placed their trust in Jesus, you're a child of God. Man, and, and here's why I think it's a tactic. And I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but stay with me. This message isn't just for those that are in the treetops. I think these, this message is also for those that are trying to walk with Jesus. You need to hear this. Is it would break my heart for my daughters to, 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 to sin against me, but then to somehow just beat themselves up in a corner, trying to some, thinking that somehow that's going to fix our relationship, trying to do penance. And I see people doing that. Like, oh, I messed up. Oh, I'm going to just punish myself. I'm going to feel terrible. Jesus' blood is sufficient for your sin. And when you do that, you're playing the victim. Like, how are you shocked that you're a sinner that need, Jesus needed to die for? You're going to try and work him out of a job now? Well, you accepted his grace originally. And it's like, oh, I got it from here, Jesus. You are, <laughs> the only thing you bring to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. And, and again, I don't want to have like this defeatist mentality, like walk around defeated. I'm saying the best thing you can do is own it. Don't have this victim mentality. You don't slip up into looking at pornography. You slip on ice. Doing something like that is a conscious decision. And when you can say, there's something broken in me. And you're no longer a victim, but you own it. They're saying, there's something broken in me. Jesus, would you come in and would you... When you're a victim, there's nothing to fix. You're the victim. Stop playing the victim when it comes to your sin. Stop doing that and acknowledge and have right relationship. I, don't, I just want my daughters to say, Dad, messed up. Yeah, you did. And you know what? There's forgiveness. Let's hug it out and let's go. This moping certainly is not helping the gospel advance in any way. And it's undermining your theology that there's forgiveness at the cross. And I'm not saying be grace abusers. Like, I don't mope. I just abuse grace and Jesus will die for that. No, like there should be a right level of conviction. But to just do in that and live in that, man, that's like a works base. Like somehow I'm more acceptable to God if I beat myself up. And I would just say, don't do that. See, again, from the text, there is an immediate joyful surrender. That would be our response. And here we have Jesus meeting him in that moment. And he said, I love you. I want to be with you. Again, I think that is God's heart clearly to all. It's the Lord's desire that, that none should perish, but all should come to know him and have eternal life. And to be clear, the only way we can be made right with God is through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And what that means is that Jesus took the punishment we deserve. Jesus died for our sins. His blood was shed that we could be forgiven. And then the good news is, as he didn't just die for our sins, then he resurrected, showing us that there is life after life, and then we can be united with God forever. And so that's the hope of the gospel. And we see that it transforms this 
small chief tax collector. It transforms his life radically in the testimony that it would have been for others. And, and I just want to invite the band up and I just want to give you an opportunity to reflect. The idea is God knows us, still chooses to love us. What's your response going to be? And I would just say, you have a decision. And some of you, you need to make that decision for the first time. Maybe you've been around and you've been watching this. And you're like, I don't think it's so bad. I would just invite you to tonight. Have you professed and said, Jesus, I acknowledge that I deserve to go to hell for my sins. But I want to put my trust in you. I don't know what this all looks like. And again, we can help you kind of through that. But between you and the Lord... You would tonight confess that sin, receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Man, and if you've done that, I think there's just these things that draw us back to settling for this safe and distant relationship. Would tonight just be kind of a recommitment? It's like, no, Lord, it, you're worth it. I don't need to try and work it off. I, don't need, I, I want to go back to that first love where I just ran and I said, help and Jesus, again, doesn't just want to be in your home. He doesn't just want to be confined to like a sticker on your car. I don't know if that's still a thing, like the little fish. Like Jesus wants to actually take up residence in your heart. The gift of, of God is the Holy Spirit, like God dwelling within us. And so just want to reflect on that. And, and that's why Jim Elliott, he was a missionary that gave his life for this message. He said, man, he's no fool the one who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's what we want to be about, and we should look radically different in our world. And so I just want to give you a moment to prayerfully kind of reflect. We're going to respond with some worship. We've got a testimony here. But I just want you to just close your eyes and bow your heads. Man, and if you have not surrendered, I would just want to invite you and say, why not? Respond like Zacchaeus to the truth. And if the Holy Spirit's moving on your heart, would you just consider that an act of God that he's calling you by name? And would you tonight surrender? And if you do that, I would just ask like Zacchaeus, you would joyfully make that known myself or some others, but now would be your time to surrender. I just want to give those that professing Christians that say, yeah, I've trusted Jesus. My question to you is, will you keep trusting him? And perhaps even now, right now, the barrier to you trusting him is coming to mind. You're like, darn it, it's relationship. Yeah, I want to entrust Jesus with my sin, but I don't know if I trust him with my future. And I would just beg you, would you allow him to not only be Savior, but Lord? So just whatever that barrier is, would you just name it? Even now, just prayerfully under your breath, what is that thing? Perhaps is just inviting you back up into a tree to be distant. Would you just name that now and give that to the Lord? And in your own way and in your own prayer, say, God, I trust you.
Would you just do that now? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are so trustworthy that you who would not spare your son but sent Jesus to, to freely die for us. God, we can trust you. We can trust that you can be no more good to us than you already have been through Jesus Christ. There's nothing better you can give us than what you already have in your son. And so God, we just want to embrace that. I can't comprehend why you would love one like me, but you do. You do. You genuinely love us. And you've adopted us. Not even just love us like, well, okay, you can just be forgiven. But you've adopted us into the family, preparing us a place eternally with you. God, praise be to you. Your goodness goes beyond our comprehension. And God, we just want to live in light of that. Oh, Lord, would you just help us get a taste of it tonight? And it would just be just fuel for our lives that we wouldn't work to, to, to earn your favor in any way, but because of your favor, that we would get to work and our lives would live radically different in our places of work, in our places of study. Lord, that's our prayer. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.